Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. special episode of set phasers a highly illogical star trek podcast we are so excited we haven't live streamed properly since you know pandemic stuff because people got it's busy. true my voice just cracked that's how excited <laughs> i am <laughs> and we are not only is it special because we are live streaming and we're doing this on behalf of the muse and uh, literary arts center we are so excited because there's new trek new trek there is new trek new trek yes Okay, well, okay, so to start, listen, you're, so you're watching slash listening to Set Phasers, a highly logical Star Trek podcast where we talk about Star Trek, especially uh, shows that are basically on right now. We kind of review the shows, talk about them, chat about them, do a lot of silly antics. Today's uh, podcast star date is Stardate 31151.25. And we're talking about Strange New Worlds season, a series, excuse me, premiere, season one, episode one. Strange New Worlds. Mm -hmm. uh, gosh, I don't even know where to begin. At the beginning. It's a very good place to start. At the beginning. Now that, that is something of an Easter egg. Huh? Mm, we can come back to that later. Oh, gosh, we're going to have an Easter egg update uh -huh. later. Yeah. Well, okay, should we get out, out of the way that the, we talk about a, a Patreon? Yes, if you are just joining us for the first time, we do have a Patreon. If you are a nerd such as ourselves you, and you love the Star Trek universe, you can join us on our continuing mission where we boldly go uh, to new treks and we recap them. We have fun together. We watch Star Trek together. We have Zoom hangs. We have a little community of Star Trek people. And if you would like to be part of that and join us, you can, of course, do that by going to patreon.com forward slash set phasers to just have it hang out and have some fun with other nerds like us. Indeed. A community of nerds uh, with their eyes to the stars. Uh, I guess we should just <laughs> we should just run down this episode. Well, we start with the rundown. This is for people who may not know what we do. And we're just going to talk about what happened in this episode before we talk about what happened in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's time to run it down. Can you run it down for me? What just happened? Can you run it down for me? Well, I'd love to run it down. Season one, episode one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds begins with a cold open and a voiceover. Number one slash Una Chin Riley is talking about first contact and how strange it is. Basically, you know, first contact, you never know what it's going to be. Uh, it's, it's, it's fantastical until it truly happens. Uh, I mean, that's something we can relate to here now in our time and reality. Uh, she says, quote, first contact is just a dream until one day. It isn't. And as she's talking about this, we see a space ops center somewhere. There's humanoid aliens, but they're not humans. And there's alarms. Uh, it looks like a red alert kind of thing. And I thought at first we were on a ship, but we're not because it's not Federation people. It's people from a planet we'll find out about later. 
Anyway, <clears throat> someone comes in who's in charge and is like, what have we got? And they're like, there's an unidentified object from outside of our world. And it is revealed to us that that unidentified object is a Federation starship. <laughs> Cut to... <gasps> well, I did it. Cut to... <laughs> I just need a full night's sleep to be able to do that gasping thing. Bear Creek, Montana. A snowy scape. Uh, stately home of Captain Christopher Pike. Uh, he's making pancakes. He's making coffee. He's making breakfast. He's watching the day the earth stood still on his flat screen TV. <laughs> okay, Christopher. Uh, there's a woman uh, in, a, in bed. Uh, finds the other side empty. This is Captain Battelle. Uh, I guess uh, Pike and Battelle are something of an item when they both have downtime. You know, two captains. They actually greet each other when she comes downstairs and sees that he's watching uh, the day the earth is still as you know, Captain Patel, Captain Pike, breakfast? I'd love to. Uh, Pike, we see, is not his usual clean-cut self. He is wild-haired and bushy-bearded and looks like he's definitely off the clock, maybe completely off uh, everything, off the grid, the whole nine. Hopefully not off showers. Yeah, we don't, mm, yeah. good question. Seems like he's mostly making breakfast, watching old movies, and riding horses. Uh, he, uh, Patel asks, so you haven't decided yet, I guess, upon seeing his appearance. And he's like, what? I got a whole week till Enterprise is out of space talk to decide if I want to deal with that. And that's like been ages. So I guess we see that Pike doesn't know if he wants to go back to space. Ah, uh, the quintessential Star Trek beginning where there's someone's like, I don't know if I can do it again. Get on the old spaceship and go to space. There's a million ways to die out there. Uh, Patel asks about his hesitancy, and he's like, oh, I can't tell you about it. It's classified. She says she has higher security clearance than him, which I found interesting. Maybe that will lead to some interesting things uh, down the line. Uh, but he says, for this, you don't. Because as we know, viewers who have watched all the franchises, uh, that whole situation at the end of Discovery Season 2, where Discovery had to fight a supercomputer that had come alive and wanted to take over the universe... And in order to do that, they had to travel back in time. So Michael got into the Red Angel suit and took the whole ship a thousand years into the future. Don't worry about it. You know. Pike's communicator is going off uh, periodically. And Patel's like, are you going to answer that? And he's like, absolutely not. He says, when are you leaving? She says, I ship out at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. I won't be back for a month. And he says, hey, well, give me a call when you return or whatever. Like, maybe we can hang out. I might still be here. I might not get on the ship. And she's like, oh, okay, that would be nice. But I hope that's not the case. And then she bounces, and his calm goes off again. He looks at it, continues eating his pancakes. We flash to Pike riding his horse through the heavy snow, enjoying his rustic mountaineering lifestyle. I guess he just rides his horse in the snow for fun or whatever to clear his thoughts. Uh, but the horse is spooked by a loud noise and a shadow up above, and it's a descending spacecraft. And who should we see but Admiral Robert April? Yeah, I looked up his whole name. He was Pike's captain before. I think he previously captained the Enterprise, and Pike was his number one. And he says, Pike, you've been ignoring your calm. And he and Pike's like, I don't want to know. He's like, I had a mission for you. And Pike's like, no, I don't want to do a mission. I just want to wear my beard and ride my horse. And he's like, no, you don't understand. Una, your number one, uh, has gone missing. They went on a routine first contact mission, and they haven't returned. They don't handle downtime well. Reminds me of a number one I used to have. Winkity, wink, wink, wink. Uh, and he says, listen, I'm pulling Enterprise out of space dock early. We won't run some of those, you know, like the secondary backup automation protocols. 
and he wants Pike. Uh, Pike is like, you should go without me. Uh, you don't want me aboard that ship. And Admiral April's like, you have us confused. I want you on that ship. And also, it's not a request. It's an order. So get out there. Uh, we flash now to Spock. Spock at a beautiful restaurant, clearly on the planet of Vulcan, uh, sitting across from a, a beautiful woman by the name of T'Pring, uh, his betrothed. A uh, bit of an awkward conversation as Spock is wondering why. He's like, I've been asking you a bunch of questions. You haven't asked me anything. Why are we here? You're wearing the courtship colors and you took us to a restaurant and this is the anniversary of our betrothal but what's the whole deal and she's like oh i've asked you a bunch of questions about like life and stuff and someone's band or whatever <laughs> loot playing and he's like well but 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 and then she's like ah, i gotcha and she takes out a little necklace thing and she's like hey let's get married let's go crazy and get married and spock's like um I was hoping, I thought you never asked, which I guess, guess was the point. She's like, yeah, let's get married. And then instead of answering as a Vulcan would, being like, oh, yes, that sounds like a wonderful idea to bring, they kiss right over the table on top of their food, which immediately one of the waste staff comes over and says, please do not do that here. This is Vulcan. And Spock looks over to Pring and says, sounds like a, br a brilliant idea. Anyway, they retire to someplace more private. Maybe Spock's apartment. It's got a very nice view, Spock. Very, very hip little apartment of like Vulcan oceans or something. And uh, they're about to, uh, you know, uh, do a little, um, I don't know what you call it, get their ponfar on if you catch my drift. And uh, just as they're about to uh, to make the music with their mouths, God, so many euphemisms, uh, Spock's calm goes off. And unlike Pike, he immediately is like, I've got to answer this. Uh, he goes off, he answers it. It's Pike telling him the whole situation. He noticed Spock... Uh, is shirtless and pike says uh whoa uh, i notice you're in a state of uh you know uh nudity um so uh he's like yeah d don't worry about it it's fine i'll meet you on the ship i'm sure to pring will understand and then he signs off and to pring's like uh that should have been a question you should have asked me if i would understand and he's like oh well i made an oath and she's like well oh whatever they have a whole thing and she says listen spock i'm not going to chase you across the galaxy so you better be back you understand and Spock's like, you were going to have to chase me to, to you know, whatever. This is like Vulcans talking, talking dirty. Anyway, Pike goes to the Enterprise. He's on the shuttlecraft Stamets. Uh, he meets up with Spock, uh, finds out about the crew. They weren't able to get their full rotations in, but they've got enough of a crew to go on this mission. Spock uh, mentions that he's still a bit, uh, every time he returns to space, get a little bit messed up about the fact that Michael, who was his adoptive sister, is in the future and he'll never see her again. Uh, and then he mentions that the new security chief has been chosen as the first officer, which Pike is a little surprised by because he thought Spock would be number one. But hey, Spock's like, listen, they wanted me in science and you know how I do. They get to the bridge and we meet some of the crew. We meet La Nunyan Singh, the, the, the aforementioned first officer slash uh, acting security chief. We meet uh, Lieutenant Erica Ortegas, who's at the helm. We meet Lieutenant Jenna Mitchell, who's at operations. And we meet the prodigy, Cadet Nyota Uhura, who is at communications. Oh, getting tingles of the original series. And... Anyway, they hit it. They go to warp. They're headed to the to Kylie two seven nine to try and find out what went wrong with this first contact and rescue their people if they can. And Pike's like, "No one. This is not anyone's last mission. There will be no death. We're gonna keep this peaceful." And then he excuses himself. He goes to his quarters, and Spock comes to check in on him, and he's there drinking his sorry and brandy. And he and Spock talk about how 
again, some throwback to Discovery Season 2 when they were on the planet of Boreth. He got close to some like, sort of like time crystal magic stuff and uh, he saw his own death. And it's a pretty hideous sort of radiation, melty face death. And he's like, oh, it's the end of my life. And it's making me feel weird. And, it's, and, and, and I don't know if I'm second guessing myself. And Spock's like, is it soon? And he's like, oh, it's like a decade away. But is that soon? I don't know. I'm, am I, who should I be? And Spock's like, well, you know, knowledge of your death might make you a better leader, you know? And he's like, I don't know if that's true. And Spock says, hey, just be who you are, the captain. And at that moment, they come out of warp, arrive at Kylie 279. They see the ship that number one Una, uh, number one Una. Oh yeah, it's kind of a dope MC name for for Una Chin Riley. I'm the number one Una, and I'm here to say my ship, the USS Archer, is stuck in Shuttle Bay, and it's here <laughs> to play. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, the yeah, the ship has no no life signs, but also no bodies, and there are only three people on it: Una and two officers, uh, whose names I wrote down: Lieutenant Key and Ensign Haddad. In case that becomes important in the future. They do find a warp signature on the planet, which would have made them maybe want to make first contact, but it's shielded. And also there's no subspace chatter in the area. It's a little bit anachronistic. And also they see that there's a weird signal variance on this warp. And also uh, Ortega's like, you got to raise the shields. And just as they do that, plasma torpedoes come up from the surface and they hit the ship. It causes minimal damage, but now everyone's a little bit on edge. And then Spock turns around and in his normal Vulcan way says, I suggest we go to red alert because having analyzed the variance, it's not a warp drive. It's a warp bomb. <laughs> I can't believe it. Uh, yeah, that's our moment when it's gone straight to a soap commercial back in the day. Later in a conference with Pike and Laon, Spock explains, hey, this is a pre-warp civilization. We don't know how they got the tech to make this warp bomb, but it's something they could have done. It's usually used made for warp drive, but these kinds of things can happen. So General Order 1 will apply. These people are not ready for first contact, which leads Laon to ask if they're just going to leave their people there on the surface. And Pike says hardly, let's head to sickbay. Do-do-do-do-do to go to sickbay. Meet Dr. Mbanga. I guess he and Pike go way back and have a great time. Uh, they hug. And we also meet Nurse Christine Chapel, who is a civilian from the Stanford Morehouse Epigenetic Project. Uh, and basically the plan is that Chapel, who knows about genome stuff, epigenetic, is going to adjust their genomes just a bit so they fit in on Kylie 279, are able to go in undercover, find number one and uh, her two uh, officers, and bring them back. And we'll deal with the rest when we we'll deal with the rest. However, doing so is going to be very painful, so she suggests administering a sedative before the process. Uh, does so to, to Pike, mentions to... Spock, as she administers the sedative, your your biology is slightly more complex, so I'm not exactly sure how this is going to work or how long it may last. It may degrade quicker than the others, and is about to do it to Laon, but Laon says, hey, I'll do the procedure, but we're going to do it without a sedative. And Pike's like, whoa, it's going to be really painful. And she's like, listen, you read my file. Are you telling me I, I have to use the sedative? And Pike's like, I am not. And so she goes, okay. And she gets hit with stuff, and it looks painful. And then we flash forward to... They go to the transporters. We meet Chief Kyle for the first time. We're just meeting people left and right. We're meeting these new ship, new people, doing new things, strange new worlds. Uh, they go down to the surface with only translators and tricorders, no phasers. They energize. They arrive on the planet in an alley. Pike wonders, why is it always an alley? And Spock is a little distraught that he's in shorts. Uh, but hey, listen, Spock. Uh, 
you got to do what you got to do to fit in. The planet they discover is wrought with unrest and anti-government protests. This whole thing, there's like a main government and then there's like a seditious, I guess, you know, by their words, like sort of splinter group. And they've been at war for generations and the people are protesting. And this weapon, you know, Pike's like this, that flashpoint. We've seen this on Earth in the 21st century. Uh, the, these weapons could thrust things over the edge. So they find the government building that has the warp signature inside of it. Uh, as they're at one of the back entrances, two people, two scientists-looking people come out. Laanne asks for permission to act quickly. She goes in, pretends to be injured, manages to get Spock to pick up on what's going on. They neck-pinch the people. Laanne suggests taking their clothing and badges, using those to match the retinal scans to get in and leave the two scientists on the Enterprise sedated. They'll just have lost a little time, and we don't have to worry about General Order 1. So the scientists do get on board. They take their clothes. They're lightly sedated. Chapel says she needs more DNA because Spock's coating is already starting to degrade. So the two Kylie uh, uh, 279 scientists do not stay under sedation. One wakes up. They got to put the guy. The other one wakes up. He just starts running. And uh, Chapel calls it a Delta uh, uh, Scorpy 7 situation, uh, which everyone seems to know what that means. So Doc <laughs> says, okay, I'll prepare the solution in here for the thing for Spock. And you go get the rabbit. And Doc warns Ortega about the Delta Scorpio 7 situation. Uh, Ortega grumbles that it, these things always happen when uh, she's got the con. The chase is on. Now, here's where it gets very complicated for me to run down. Pike, Laan, and Spock are trying to get in. They don't have time to leave. They're already in line, and there's people behind them, and they're walking through the protest. Chapel is trying to chase the scientists, running into people. He manages to, he's like super scared. He runs into a turbo lift. Turns out he's in the turbo lift with Uhura. Now, Uhura, who is, uh, I guess, an expert at things, uh, and also maybe is not using a universal translator, but that's not possible. Does she know the language of Kylie 279? She might. She's a prodigy. Anyway, she gets him chatting about Tag Ball, which is like the planet's major pastime. And he's like, yeah, you know about tag ball? She's like, yeah, totally. I've heard about all these kind of tag ball things. And he's like, oh, sweet. It's good to talk. Anyway, they're headed to the bridge. She's able to calm him. Meanwhile, uh, Chief Kyle is finding out that when they do get the solution, they're going to have to transport it directly onto Spock's eye. And he's like, transporters do not do that. And Ortega beams in and says, too bad. You're going to have to make it work, Chief. Uh, uh, Pike et al. They can't stop. So Pike and Laan are able to scan through because their coding is still holding. Spock's scan fails twice and security starting to get jumpy. Meanwhile, Chapel runs back to sickbay, uses the emergency medical transporter to get to the bridge. As the door opens, she sedates the man from Kylie 279. Ortega welcomes him to the Enterprise Bridge as he falls over. Uhura and Chapel introduce themselves to each other. Chapel and Benga manage to get a solution together. They send it to Chief Kyle, who's managed to to beam it right onto Spock's eye on the third attempt, just as security was probably about to shoot him, and they get through. <sighs> kapla! Kapla, kapla. Indeed. I need a sip of my Ractigino after that. <laughs> they head down into an elevator, because now that they're in the building, they're able to figure out where number one is. Uh, and Spock's ears are starting to change. They're in the elevator with a bunch of other scientists who start to notice, but just as it start, seems like something they might comment on, they get to their floor, and they get off just leaving a gobsmacked scientist behind who doesn't know quite what to make of it. They find Una and the two officers, a little worse for the wear. Some of them got shot or beaten up. Uh, Una and Laan know each other somehow. Hmm, they'll deal with that later. They can't transport out of there because they're too low from the surface, so they have to get closer. So they're going to have to walk back to the elevator and get up to be able to beam out. The way is clear, Spock mentions, and Laan's like, why would you, Jason? And Spock's like, it's very unlikely that the way would be clear. Just as he says that, they are confronted by several personnel coming off of an elevator, and Spock's transformation is degrading uh, to the utmost. He mentions to the captain, the pain is becoming unbearable as the two forces 
meets sort of all flummoxed as to what to do. Spock stands out front, covers his ears, screams in pain, and then reveals himself to be an alien and not one of the uh, Kylie 279 residents. And a fight ensues. The Enterprise crew is able to subdue all the personnel and they get on the elevator. And then Pike asks Una, how did this all happen? And Una says it's classified. And Pike says, doesn't matter. Let's figure it out. And Una explains that this place is only one light year out from the zero point. What's the zero point, you ask? Well, I mentioned it earlier when I talked about Discovery. When Discovery had to head toward the future and there was a big fight with the with control and space and there were all these Klingon and Ba'ul fighters with Kelpians flying them, all trying to uh, hold back control so that Discovery could jump to the future with their, you know, their sphere data. There are all these matter, anti-matter reactions. And of course, this planet was close enough to be able to see through the telescopes all these reactions and be able to reverse engineer some sort of warp-style technology, which because of their war stance, they obviously did uh, towards the idea of war. Thus, Pike realizes this is our fault. We were not circumspect enough. We should have realized there were non-warp-capable civilizations here. Pike orders everyone except for him and Spock to go back to the ship. Uh, They beam up. The doors open. They're confronted by security. Pike says, hey, take me to your leader. Pike goes to talk to the head of the planetary government. He explains the situation. The leaders mention that there is a seditious faction that they have fought for centuries and that this bomb will allow them to end the conflict. Spike says, uh, Spike, Spike? Spock. Spock says that, yeah, sure, you can end it, but with mass murder. And the leader says, oh, haven't you had civil unrest on your planets? And they're like, okay, we have. Pike quotes a Kenyan proverb. He says, while elephants, when elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. Uh, that lasting peace will not be found through violence and murder. But the leader dismisses them, saying, Proverbs are great, but what we need is a big stick. And in a fight like this, the person with the biggest stick is the victor. But as they're led away, Pike is like, what's the good of a rule if you're not willing to die for it and if you're not willing to break it? And so he speaks to his comm, which has been confiscated, emergency uh, message. He tells uh, Enterprise to drop down to visibility within the atmosphere. Raid sirens go off into the city and Pike turns around and quips, well, it seems as though I'm the one with the biggest stick here. Uh, This gets the factions at least in the same room talking, but it is argumentative. Meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, uh, we get Ma'an's backstory. Her ship, the SS Puget Sound, was the ones who made first contact with the Gorn, but by first contact, we mean they were attacked, kidnapped, brought back to a nursery planet where heinous acts were done upon them. They were eaten alive. They were cut open and used as breeding sacks for their young. And La'an was different. She mentions that she remembers her father saying, not believing you're going to die is what gets you killed. And this gives Pike an idea and also has ramifications back to the whole thing that Pike is dealing with with his death in 10 years. Pike beams down to the planet. He shows the leaders, both from the seditious factions and the the main faction, uh, this is what Earth was like. It was great. And then this thing happened where we blew up half the Earth and killed 60,000 species or something. And everything got out of hand. And it was bad. And so you guys could do that right now. You could destroy each other. And listen, hey, what are we going to do about it? Or, in contravention of General Order 1, I could welcome you into the Federation, even though you're probably a couple centuries away from being ready for it. Uh, and then we see that they accepted this, a future of the Enterprise having this effect on the, the people of Kylie 279, cooperation, working together, discovery, scientific, learning people, you know, just wonderful peace and discovery. Uh and so Enterprise heads back to space dock. 
Admiral April walks in. He's like, man, I'd use all my pull not to get you guys all court-martialed. Uh, but because they, he had to go and he found out all about Discovery, but because the council can't acknowledge the things that happened on Discovery, they can't acknowledge that the people of Kylie 279 were not warp capable because they had warp technology. So it all sort of works out in the end in the loophole. Federation Council is not pleased about this breach of General Order 1, and apparently they're thinking of changing its name to the Prime Directive, which Pike thinks will never stick. Uh, Una asks permission to return to the Enterprise, and April asks Pike, hey, you gonna keep the chair? And he does. Uh, Pike has a heart-to-heart -heart with La'an about trust, even though he's read her experiences, and we know about the experiences on Gorn, he mentions the pods from the war. Apparently, during World War III, scientists sent all these like natural pods into space to save the 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 people on the planet and stuff uh, from uh, you know from the, the the fallout of the war. And by the time the war was over and they tried to move things back, the pods had grown so much that there was no space for them. So they just made this huge, beautiful, natural nursery in space. And Spike mentioned a uh, Spike. Oh, God, <laughs> this is gonna happen so much. And Pike. Mentions Spike. That could be their new like couple thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's their uh, when I ship for Pike and Spock. That we call Spike. Uh, that growth is possible even in space. And he also learns that it was Una that discovered Laan's space raft uh, that the Gorn let her off in when Una was serving as an ensign on the USS Martin Luther King Jr. And that's the reason Laan joined Starfleet because of Una. And so Pike formally offers her a position on the Enterprise as Chief of Security. The end, Pike's log, he mentions, hey, listen, you know, space is space. I don't know if I belong here or whatever, but it's where it's where I believe I should be, even with all the baggage I'm carrying. And I'm a lucky man to be the captain of the Enterprise. He returns to the bridge. The crew rotations are complete. There's a Kirk coming to the bridge. Turns out it's George Samuel Kirk. I made a note here. Mustache. Uh, he's going to be working under Spock. Uh, so Kirk's dad's going to be working under Spock whole thing uh a new person beams aboard the ship uh, i looked up who they were so it's lieutenant hammer and i think is the new going to be the chief engineer or something like that but we don't really get to know what's going on in the first episode just this new person uh beaming aboard the ship ortega asks for a course where are they headed what are they doing pike says we're we're here to seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly go where no one has gone before uhura says cool and pike says hit it and here end it the end of season one, episode one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Woo! You want to chat? Should we chat about that? I could not want to chat about oh. that more. I say, darling, let's do a quick chat about that. Yes, yes, let's do. Woohoo! Let's do. Let's do. Let's do. So, what was, how did uh, you feel seeing this new Star Trek and it being pumped? It was so great. I obviously, yeah, it's great to have to to be doing some Pike uh, stuff. I, Pike is like one of those characters that it's so interesting that was like a he's almost like now forgive me for mentioning Star Wars, but he's almost like a Boba Fett character that's sort of like a, a throw off. Pike exists in the pilot of the original series, mm. and there's one episode, and then he's gone, not to be mentioned ever again uh, uh, in the original series. But that was uh, but purely because of, they didn't like. The actor as the captain. Yeah. Yeah. And they brought in Shatner. Yeah. But I love this, how they have now built this into canon 
and we have a whole series around it. We're not just kind of like rebooting Kirk. We're kind of exploring some characters that have only ever really been seen once or twice. Right. If at all. And then there's also all these characters that we know from TOS who who are young in their younger phase. So Mm. like, uh, I don't know if this is part of, yeah, Uhura, uh, Nurse Chapel, uh, uh, you know, obviously Spock. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I loved it. The it's got a kind of a more fun uh, cowboy esque flavor to it, but not quite as like uh, ugh, over the top like Kirk. Like, hey, what's up? Who's the hot lady on this planet? You know what yes. I mean? <clears throat> no one's taking uh, their shirt off. Actually, Spock took his shirt off. Spock took his shirt off right in that first epi uh, like episode. Yeah. But uh, you know that's cool that they're they're betrothed to each other now they're like fianced I don't know what you call it uh, and uh, yeah I liked uh, yeah you know Pike is obviously dealing with a lot of heavy stuff but he is sort of like he's enjoying the fun of exploration which is mm-hmm. kind of the joy of of that sort of TOS uh, thing and all you know yeah the episodic thing is just like show up see cool stuff sometimes there's something insane happening and try to fix it. And I think everyone else, I really enjoyed uh, Uhura uh, as the young cool. snapper. Yeah, cool. She's like talking about tag ball with the the scientist from Kylie 279. Uh, yeah, Ortega's super awesome. Uh, and uh, I love the doctor and Nurse Chapel. They're more, they're, everyone seems like they're up for a really insane time. They're like out for adventure. You can see that there's going to be clear character development. We've got La'an, Noonie, and Sung. Sing. Yes, Leon, Noonie, Sing, which is like, whoa, what's the backstory there? And Some sort of relation. Family. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Khan! Khan! Laan! Yeah. Uh, who knows? Interesting. I had a question about that. So when she communicated back to the bridge at one point, she goes La'an to bridge. Mm-hmm. Why would she? Because no one ever uses their first name. Why would she go La'an to bridge and not Nuni and Sing to, uh, to bridge? I have no idea. Yeah, they usually go, Pike uh, to bridge. I guess mm. it's up to you. Do you whatever you want. You could be like, hey, man, wait, a wharf. I guess wharf only has one name. Uh, mm. uh, Scotty. Scotty. They call Scotty. Scotty. Did he ever say? No, his last name is Scott. Uh, yeah, I cannot find an example as I read my mind right now of someone using their first name. But When they have a surname. Yes, when they have a surname, exactly. Mm. I wonder if it was just so that we don't think too much about the Nunyan Singh business. Maybe. Maybe a little, mm. little red herring. Mm, I'm already getting my tinfoil hat on. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, obviously Spock and T'Pring. We're going to learn a little something. Something, cause some complex romantic uh, interactions there, but true Vulcan love for sure. Uh, uh, I'm very interested in Captain Patel. And what their whole mission is. I feel like it was referenced with an, with enough uh, gravity, but also enough offhandedness that maybe what they do, what they're doing when they're gone for a month, is something important. You know what I mean? Yes. I'm interested. Now, how do you feel about the episodic thing? I'm into it. Yeah. But so I was watching Akiva Goldsman on the Ready Room. And he mm-hmm. was talking to Will Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. And he actually made a really good point about, you know, is it quite, is it hard going from the sort of serialized arc versions of Star Trek that they're so used to making, going back to the sort of episodic nature? And what he said was the character arcs are essentially serialized because you can't Mm -hmm. 
kind of contain all of the emotion that one character uh, experiences within one episode and then just move on to the next as they used mm. to do. They are going to take that with them. So that's right. I feel I feel better about that. Yeah, obviously these characters are less. I mean, this was a great pilot. Think of every other Star Trek pilot, and they're, they're all the characters are so wooden and like, "Hi, I'm from this place, and I did this thing, and that's why I want to be on this ship." Hi, I'm also from this place. You know, there's yep. much more interesting stuff going on here. So I think that will bridge the gap. But I also, I'm in. I like that we'll always be in a new place, and there'll be a new problem to solve, and they'll have to find some way to tie it into some character's development. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm very excited. And I, you know what? I didn't know about Chief uh, Chief Kyle, but I already like Chief Kyle. He's already full on living the chief life, being told to do the impossible uh, day one uh, by the acting captain and having to do it. I love a chief. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, should we get into Easter eggs? Yes. <clears throat> Uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. As always, we go straight to the Easter egg, egg, Easter, egg, Easter egg desk with Stevie. Stevie. Well, hi there, Aki. How you doing? Happy to be here. Happy to be here, as always. I am coming to you live from the set of Strange New Worlds, and I can tell you it is chock full of the eggs of Easter variety. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the eggs of Easter variety. <laughs> Tell me more. So you may remember at the beginning of our live stream, you said something and I said, uh, let's start at the very beginning of good, very good place to start. Yes. yes deep yes, cut. Yes. Deep cut. That was a quote from The Sound of Music. Who directed The Sound of Music? It was Robert Wise. Who directed mm-hmm. When the Earth Stood Still or The Day the Earth Stood Still? The day it Earth was still. Robert Wise. Wow. Very nice. Wait, what? Did you have that set up? No, I didn't. You just did it, oh. and then I, I know that movie so well that I could. My it. stars. I know The Day the Earth Stood Still. I didn't know that Robert Wise directed The Sound of Music, mm-hmm. but I yes, a uh, very good place to start. Is that Indeed. Quite fun. And in fact, he <laughs> was also, and the reason that this is extra, extra deep cut, Robert Wise was the director of the motion picture, of Star Trek motion picture in 1979. Ah, which is recently got revamped or something and is now available to watch, right? Like yes. the director's cut. Director Scott with the Kiva Goldsman and possibly Alex Kurtzman. I take that back. Hang on. Oh, it was Alex Kurtzman, I think, is, is certainly on there. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So, yes, that is one. We uh, we move on to not answering one's communicator. Yeah. Uh, Pike ignoring his communicator and then getting directly confronted by a Starfleet officer, Admiral April. Yes. Uh, seems to reference Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. In that film, Kirk straight up doesn't take his communicator with them on a camping trip, resulting in Uhura flying a shuttle down to Yosemite National Park to pick him up, including Spock and Bones as well. So, I yes, I vaguely I forgot that that yeah that's the beginning of uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And the biggest Easter egg of all, of course, which this episode really revolves around, is the Prime Directive. Indeed. So Pike knows that he shouldn't interfere with the pre-warp culture. He's very aware of the fact that it directly violates General Order One and basically every rule of Starfleet. But when he learns that Starfleet's battle with control in Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery led the society to the brink of disaster, he has to take a stand. He steps Mm. up to do the right thing, fix his mistake, and because, as he says, any blood that's spilled will be on Starfleet's hands. So Admiral Robert April manages to get Pike and his command crew out of trouble with Starfleet Command and suggests that uh, General Order 1 will soon be going by the new name, the Prime Prime Directive. Directive. The Prime Directive. 
And oh, there's so there's so many Easter eggs here. Um, I've I've handpicked about five or six. These, okay, these yeah. next ones are short. Robert April, the first captain of the USS Enterprise, NCC okay. 1701, oh, as you correctly baby. pointed out. Yes, um, he's the first live action actor to play Robert April, a Starfleet hero with an odd history of quasi canonicity. I had to quasi canonicity. Quasi canonicity. Do I do it like that? I um, do. Robert April was one of Roddenberry's earliest ideas for a hero of Star Trek, which later became Pike and, of course, Kirk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, oh, wild! Yeah, they've done some. There's some serious nerd stuff going on. Yeah, everywhere. Some deep digging. Yes, this deep, is great. Deep, deep nerd shit. Um, <laughs> Spock's engagement. Yeah. Some fans might find Spock's engagement to Tpring kind of a violation of canon, but the truth is, in several of the classic TOS, oh sorry, several of the classic TOS writers, including Dorothy Fantana's novel Vulcan's Glory, created scenarios in which Spock and Dupring met prior to the events of Amok Time. Yes. Uh, Strange New World takes place roughly 2258 or 2259, while the events of Amok Time, in which Dupring conspires to have Spock fight Kirk to the death, happen in 2267, meaning that Spock and Dupring have a very long engagement. Very low. Well, they're Vulcans. You know, they, they live to Vulcans. be they, yeah, a they billion live years old or whatever. Ages. And finally, uh, Shuttlecraft Stamets, as you correctly uh, noted earlier. Um, Pike is apparently flying aboard a shuttle called Stamets, clearly a reference to Paul Stamets. And the reason this is fun is because, as far as the vast majority of Starfleet is concerned, Paul Stamets died mm-hmm. when Discovery exploded. Yes. So this shuttle was named in his honor, but of course, Pike knows that Stamets didn't really die. And as far as Pike knows, He's hopefully living a good life in the 32nd century, which is mostly true. Yeah. Oh, and I that's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, I think the the cadet that's sort of like flying Pike up there says something about, like, there she is all scrubbed up and clean. And he goes, like, if only it were that easy. He's on the Stamets, which is part <laughs> yep. of the whole thing that's classified. He's reading about, I think in that moment, he's reading about La'an's first contact with the Gorn. And yes. he's contemplating go back. To, it's like everything. They're like, oh, so wonderful. The usual moment in all of Star Trek when they show us the ship and we get all that ship porn stuff. And he's like, ship not. Porn. He's the only one that's like, whatever. Just beat me up to the ship. I got stuff mm. to do. So anyway, yeah. I thought that was cool. All right. <clears throat> well, Aki, Aki, it's back to you in the studio. That is all from me here on the set of Strange New Worlds with our Easter eggs. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Let's move on to quotable moments. Quotable moments. You go first. Okay. I'm sure I will have small ones compared to you. Uh, There are a lot as well. Listen, I didn't, I tried not to go over the top here this time. I thought I was uh, doing pretty well. Um, Well, I very much loved uh, uh, Una's uh, speech at the very beginning. The, uh, the, what do you call it? The voiceover uh, uh, where she says... No first visit from the stars. Uh, What? The first visit from the stars is always the province of children's stories and science fiction. First contact with aliens always lives squarely in the impossible. First contact is just a dream until one day it isn't. Mm. Loved that. Uh, It was her log entry, right? Yeah. Sorry? Yeah. Mm It's a log entry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a log entry before they make first contact, I guess. Um... And uh, there was a uh, some some quipage that I enjoyed. Uh, oh yeah, when uh, Spock, are you naked? Uh, no, Captain. 
And then Jabring says, no, Chris, he's not. He was about to be. It's a special night. <laughs> I like that. Anyway. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, where is it? It's uh, it's his little, you know, I always go for, I love the emotional stuff that happens. Uh, when Pike does his final captain's log before they go off, he says, the dust in the sky is my hearth, but Enterprise is my home. We can move forward together knowing that whatever shadows we bring with us, they make the light all the brighter. I am a lucky man. Those are my Very good. political moments. Well, all right. I had um, Sp Spike, Pike. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. It's my, my turn. Pike Killer saying, Romulan warrior nuns. Killer warrior Romulan nuns. Yeah. Uh, that is an old reference if you have just joined us the first time. Recall uh, season one. Yeah. Tongue yeah. twisters every, every season. We try. Take me to your leader. Fun one. Oh, that was so good. Yeah. So clever. Well, not really that clever, but just it was well done. It didn't feel cheesy. Um, it was it was perfect romp fun stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was some some good leading. I loved him as the, in the position of leader when he was talking to La'an and said there's more to serving Starfleet than just individual excellence. Oh, so true. That so was true. a fun one. And on a personal note, a mustachioed Lieutenant Samuel Kirk, by the way, brother of James T., who actually did play his brother just with a mustache on in some TOS episode, I believe. Okay. Um, Samuel Kirk comes on board uh, onto the bridge and he says, great to be here. And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah. Hey, hey, Augie, it's great to be here. 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 Uh, yes, Samuel yeah. Kirk with his mustache. What a choice. It also feels mustache. like that's very throwback to the original series. Like everyone we've seen looks like futuristic in a way that we now know Star Trek tries to be. Uh, but the original series like was so 60s and this guy showing up with that mustache is that like, porn what stash. the heck? Uh, but yeah, it was still great. Still love it. And I look forward to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that's it. Oh, news. We have news. We do. We have some news. Are you ready for news? Hit us. Hit it. News around the galaxy. Oh, I love a bit of news. news. It's that news. Uh, so we have Picard cast departures on today's news docket. Oh, my. I know. Santiago, Santiago Cabrera, who played Rios, uh, we know as he stayed behind uh, in the past, as we discussed last week. Alison yes. Pill, Jura, who plays Jurati, uh, has confirmed that she will not be in season three, although Akiva Goldsman uh, has hinted that uh, <gasps> she may be uh, in the latest Ready Room interview with uh, Will Wheaton that she may appear elsewhere in the Trekverse at some point. Because so, she was so wonderful. Pa, pa, pa. Pa, pa, pa. Well, she's um, a Borg queen, so she could be in be nine, 930 years in the future. Absolutely. Evan, Ever, Evan Evagora, who plays Elnor, announced mm -hmm. on Instagram that he won't be returning for season three as well. Issa Broness, who played Corey and uh, all of the synthetics, really, uh, will also not be returning. Orla Brady, who played Laris and Ta Talon? Tal right? Talon, yeah. Talon, thank you. Um, has not confirmed, and in the Ready Room search, she said that the ending was designed to be ambiguous. So I don't think they've entirely decided whether she's coming back and whether but she was, and Picard uh, will be together. Such a nice rom-com ending. I know. Well, I think it's so that, you know, he is freed from his past and free to love anyway. So perhaps Tinfoil Time, perhaps Beverly Crusher. Who's coming back in season three? Oh, Might be his new love. So mm -hmm. much to talk about, so much mm -hmm. to dream. Okay, sounds wonderful. And finally, 
less departures, but we do know that Jerry Ryan and Michelle Hurd will be back for season three, so hurrah Thank and phew for that. Yeah. And uh, that's... Wait, wait. <clears throat> that's all from the news. All right. Well, well I don't, should we go to next time? I mean... Yeah. Okay, let's go to next time. Let's go to next time. Uh, next time whoops. on Wrong Phasers. There we go. Oh, okay, well, listen, it's been a blast. We've been live streaming for the Muse Riders, uh, Muse Riders Center Telethon, or, or in, Instant Internet-a-thon, uh, mm. and uh, uh, forgive Local 757. So hopefully some people have enjoyed this, uh, well, highly illogical, there's no other way to describe our program, uh, show... Uh, and we're coming to the end of it. Are we going to do Q&A at the uh, I should We should do the sign-off and then Q&A? We'll do the sign-off and then Q&A. So stay tuned for that if you are watching live with us. Okay. Um, cut, but don't forget cut to Cut this donate. whole thing where I didn't know what was happening out. <laughs> and flash to, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to our program. Yep. Uh, if you, if you enjoyed it, uh, what's that? Donate to the Muse. The Muse-org. Yes. Uh, yes, uh, I got that right. Oh, uh, yeah. I was going to, that's going to be my end. I'm uh, oh, okay. at the end of this. But don't worry. Do uh, we're doing a great job here. As always, our outro is going smashingly. <laughs> uh, you can get our podcast wherever you get your podcast. We put out new episodes every Monday as much as we can. And, uh, and we hope that you enjoy. We've, we've covered a bunch of stuff. So there's a bunch of back episodes to check out if you enjoyed this and this is your first episode. Huzzah! Well, until next time, I am Stevie Mans. And I'm donating to the Muse Writer Center Telethon. And this has been uh, Set Phaser's Archaeological <laughs> Star Trek Podcast. Yes, let's not forget our show, Archie Computer. Uh, End program. Oh, crap. I've got to put the button. <laughs> our last words were, oh, crap. I forgot to push the button.